Right. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm extremely excited to be here today with Hamdi, who is a Palestinian living in Jordan. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, so for the past couple of weeks on my channel, I've been focusing on the Middle East where I didn't before. And I've spoken to a number of, um, of people who I think have the right ideas, but none of them are from the area or have any direct experience of it. But um, but the other detail to mention is that I'm, I'm quite a firm nationalist. And that means that I believe that the people of a land should be running that land and they should be the ones making the decisions and um and all of that so i'm also against big bodies like the wef and um uh, uh, and the un and essentially interfering too much in what a country does but you have never even set foot in your country is that right or or you've never spent any time um... there and yeah, if you're referring to Palestine, yeah, that's correct. I've never been. I was born and raised in Jordan. Mm -hmm. um, though my father was born in Hebron, that's where my family comes from. Uh, and yeah, it's sad to say I've never been, actually, no. And can I ask about like what <clears throat> family, where were they from, and what happened? So, okay, so basically my family was born in Hebron, my father, sorry, was born in Hebron in uh, 1949. So this was one year after the next day. Um, as you know, Hebron wasn't captured in 1948. Uh, so the Nakba happened in 1948, uh, but the Jordanians, the Jordanian army took over uh, the West Bank, Hebron is south of the West Bank. Um, so eventually, um, the West Bank became part of Jordan because it was under Jordan control. And in uh, 1950, uh, the constitution in Jordan uh, actually made the West Bank part of Jordan. So, which means that Everybody living in the West Bank gained Jordan citizenship. Yeah. Um, so how it worked out after that, actually, because the because the Nakba happened, the economy in the West Bank started to struggle. So my my family moved out when that happened, um, and a lot of other families they just moved to to east of the Jordan River um, and basically started their life there. My, my, my family originally uh, left Hebron and went to Kuwait, actually. And uh, that's where my father, uh, my grandfather established uh, a business there and it went pretty good, right? Um, he died young. So after he passed away, my grandmother and my father and his siblings, they all moved back to Amman and settled there because most of their families moved to Amman anyway. Um, so basically, that's how it went. Now, in 1967, 
when when the six day war happened um like my father told me the last time he actually went to uh, visit Hebron um it was uh, i think 1966 or 1965 was the last time he went to visit 1967 happened and after that like nobody was able to go down there right um so basically yeah um after that what's happened the situation is that in 1988 um because in 1967, the West Bank was considered uh, Jordan, right? Because, you know, Jordan took over it. Um, and Jordan kept its claim up until 1988. Uh, 1988, <clears throat> uh, the government and Jordan decided, okay, because uh, there was the Intifada, the first Intifada happened, and uh, there was uh, more um, talk about the establishment of a Palestinian state. So Jordan gave up its claim in order to establish a Palestinian state in 1988. And it, it withdrew its claim uh, on the West Bank, which, by the way, actually nobody uh, recognized to begin with. Uh, only the UK recognized it, and I think Pakistan uh, were the only countries that recognized uh, the West Bank, be Bank being part of Jordan. Um, and so the situation uh, after that happened, everybody living west of the Jordan River um, got their Jordanian citizenships pulled away from them. My family was in the east side of the Jordan River, so we kept our Jordanian citizenship. Now, the thing is, uh, also it's worth mentioning really that when Jordan uh, took the West Bank, in the eyes of the people who lived in the West Bank, it, it, it wasn't an occupation really. This is very important to point out um because basically people who live in west jordan river or east of jordan river are basically the same the same people like we, we're the same people we we always were yeah and when we discuss uh, these kind of things like um jordan taking control of the west bank it's it's just a legal discussion really isn't it because it's a, and, yeah. and the offshoot of it has ended up like basically when this was all under Arab control, my understanding is you wouldn't have this insane partition that's pushing people out to one side. People then there would have been conflicts and the and people would have um different kings or whatever would have had different jurisdictions, but this mass movement of people. Is, is very, very different to what you would have been subjected to under Jordan's rule. Um, so under Jordan's rule, people left the West Bank to, to Jordan, to Amman mostly, uh -huh. um, for search of better economic situation. Uh, and <clears throat> back then, 
the Arab consensus was to free Palestine from the river to the sea, actually. Back in that, back in those days, mm-hmm. um, after most Arab nations realized that that's not a realistic thing to do after like two, three decades after the Six Day War. Um, that's when people were like, okay, we should probably uh, recognize Israel. But in return, Israel has to agree to establish a Palestinian state on the June 67 border. So, yeah, which didn't happen at the end, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, so... So a lot of Palestinians in Jordan, I I would say that um, out of all the Palestinians who became refugees, probably uh, those who came to Jordan were the most uh, lucky. I don't know if that's the right word to say, but because they ended up having a citizenship of another country, Hmm. uh, where if you look at the refugees who went to Lebanon or Syria, or like other countries in the area. They all ended up living in refugee camps and they had no citizenship status whatsoever. Hmm. They weren't able to, until now actually, they're, they're not able to, like Palestinians in Lebanon or in Syria, their status is refugees. They can't be, they're not Lebanese. They can't participate in political life uh, in terms of getting jobs or or, you know, having a better future it's like Mm. hopeless well this for me is an interesting conflict because in the uk there's lots of talk about taking in lots of refugees from gaza as if that is the only solution to what's happening right and and they always talk about how egypt isn't taking anyone in um they're not any of these refugees and jordan's not gonna and it is working on the uk population they look at egypt and go why won't you take the refugees and it's very rare for someone to say, because that's their home and they shouldn't be refugees. They shouldn't be made refugees, yeah. which is my... That's the thing. Yeah, they're home. I mean, they're already refugees, by the way, in Gaza. 70%. 70% of the population of Gaza are refugees from 1948. Yeah, meaning they didn't live in Gaza. They're Palestinians that have been moved into that tiny clump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like from uh, from what is now known as Israel, from the towns, you know, the kibbutzes that were attacked and the towns and villages around, like from uh, Esdud, from from Yafa, from Be'er uh, Sebea, which is Beersheba, I think the name in English. Um, all of these people were kicked out from there and moved into into the Gaza Strip. So. Now you're asking them to become refugees again. I mean, uh, could, you, gonna... you, could, could you dwell on it, like the, the phrase, the Nakba? I know what it is, but it's not a common <clears throat> phrase in my country. It is. And, it, and I think that is because of Britain's, first of all, because of, you know, Zionist Western media, but also because Britain has a great shame because it played a very integral role in all this happening, several integral roles. So um, it's really only a result of Muslim immigration to Britain that people are actually talking about the Nakba and learning what it is. So from your perspective, from your culture's perspective, can you kind of paint a picture of what that term means? 
Yeah, the Nakba, look, the Nakba is an Arabic word that the English translation is literally the catastrophe. Right, the catastrophe. So it was a catastrophe. Uh, because up until May 1948, you have like the numbers uh, 700,000 refugees, 750,000 Palestinian refugees were uh, pushed out of their homes. Around 500 villages were destroyed to make way to the state of Israel. So, I mean, the word Nakba to us, it's like one of the worst things that that's happened to our people, really, in modern history. Hmm. So, yeah, uh, the word Nakba, it's like uh, every year, uh, 15th of May, it's celebrated. Like, not celebrated like we're happy, celebrated like, you know what I mean. Remembered. It's like, yeah, it's remembered, exactly. Yeah. And, and the so, other yeah. I'd have to ask you about, because there's a there's great effort to make us scared of words like this, uh, would be intifada. Like, tell us about what the intifada means out there. Because that's supposed to be scary. If we hear people saying intifada, it's like, oh, no, that means they're terrorists and they're going to bomb us. Yeah, no, I, look, intifada. OK, what's the English word for intifada? I think it's uprising. Is the closest kind of kind of yeah you can say uh the truth is the first intifada was a peaceful one uh it was uh basically because back then um everybody in the west bank and gaza was living under uh israeli occupation right there was no P uh, the plo was uh at that time kicked out of lebanon and went to tunisia and so there was no Palestinian authority. There was no Hamas. Uh, it was just normal people living in the West Bank and Gaza and East Jerusalem who were suffering um, from occupation, who lived under military rule with zero rights. They weren't able to vote. They weren't able. Zero rights, basically. And look, if we learn anything from history, any people who are oppressed, they're going to have an uprising. Right? I mean, there's a lot of examples for this. So nobody should be worried about the word Antifaba, really. It's, I mean, the Warsaw Ghetto uprising, let's say. Uh, like what happened there was brutal, right? Um, Jews in Europe were being prosecuted, uh, thrown into uh, concentration camps. And, and you know what? After a few years with all this discrimination, people are going to rise. So it's a fight against injustice. Hmm. And it's not too much to ask when you're asking for your basic human rights, really. It's not well, like... The, the narrative that we're handed is that this is a war, 
and it's between two countries that are called Israel mm. and Palestine. Yeah, Israel yeah. Is, is a Western nation. It's a, the only functioning democracy in the Middle East. And um, and we should be really proud of them. And, you know, the Jews have had it bad throughout history, so you can't criticise them. Whereas the Palestinians, look at them. They can't get their shit together. They can't, like, form a proper government. They elected Hamas. Look at them. Uh, and that's because it's not a war. It's not a war at all. It's an occupation. Um, yeah. and, and, and we are, we <clears throat> spell the cast over, um, I don't know how it is in the, it's, well, it must be all of Europe and all of the Western world, really, that we actually have to really do a lot of digging to go, wait a second, what happened here? Yeah, so basically you can't, so uh, like yesterday, for example, I was on Twitter, uh, I debated this uh, this guy um, who was uh, basically uh, saying that there's a lot of anti-Semitic stuff coming out from uh, from you know the pro-Palestinian uh, protests and uh, and the the original post actually was uh, somebody showing the, all the Arab hate that is coming out of from from Israel, pro-Israeli uh, protests, and and uh, a guy posted something like, "Yeah, but you know what? What's also pro-Palestinian protests are also uh, very hateful and anti-Semitic." And so my answer was, you know, I won't deny that, right? There's um, on both sides. Uh, radical people, right? But um, you, the thing is, you can't hold the same moral standards for a people who are oppressed and for a people who is doing the, oppress the, the oppression. You can't hold the same uh, moral standard for both. It's not an equal situation here. Uh, when you talk about Israel and Palestine, we're not talking about two nations fighting each other. We're talking about a, a nuclear power, basically, that is occupying a people that doesn't have an army. Uh, everything you see uh, coming from any Palestinian resistance movement is uh, I mean, it's guerrilla warfare, basically. It's not like they have an army and a center of command and, and uh, you know, air force and tanks and I don't know what. It's just people hold, holding their AK-47s and going out and trying to resist occupation, which is, uh, according to international law, actually, any any nation that is under occupation has that right to resist and and use violence it's it's hmm. it's within international law really i mean the situation isn't as complicated as people make it look like it, it's not actually it's incredibly it's, not. it's, not. it's very easy but we get i think we get served up these experts in inverted commas, um, who make you feel stupid. Because for so long, I thought, well, it's the Middle East, it's too complicated. And I actually bring this up quite often. I said that to um, a Muslim that I was working with in an office. It's like, I'm not going there. I, it's too complicated for me. Um, and he just went, well, it's stolen land. 
and it always stuck with me and i'm like it's you know when i look into it it's it's those three words it's stolen land it's it's no more difficult than that and um yeah. like israel as a neighbor i can't imagine there's any other is there any other spot on earth with as volatile a neighbor like does any nation on earth get on with their neighbors as little as israel does um <clears throat> that's a good question i don't know i don't uh, I never thought about it actually. Uh, well, I don't think there would be because it's it's so invasive yeah. compared to you know other things flower up naturally. Um, yeah, no, this is yeah. I mean, Jordan and Israel they had a peace treaty uh, in the nineties, um, but even with that, uh, things aren't normal. I mean, up until October sixth, even. Things were never normal, really. And then when you have a, a country, a neighboring country, that's always talking about warmongering, let's attack Lebanon, let's attack Syria, let's attack Iraq, let's attack Iran, you know? I mean, that's not normal, right? Um, like all this warmongering coming from a, a neighboring country. I mean, look, uh, to be fair, there's a lot of warmongering. There always has been in the Middle East, right? But I mean, Coming from Israel, like, listen, let me tell you something. When, uh, look, all the pictures that are, we're seeing uh, happening in Gaza right now, all of them, from the day I was born, and we've been seeing pictures like that coming from, from Gaza, from the West Bank, from Jerusalem, this is not new to us, really. Um, we, we never saw it, uh, like this time it's like, the, it's a huge scale. Obviously we, we haven't seen it uh, that much, probably in 1948, it was as bad as now, mm. probably we, I mean, uh, because back then, you know, we didn't have social media or anything, so nothing was really documented by camera. Yeah. That's the reason it's video. explosive at the moment is because exactly. It... You, you've got an incident where there's a lot there's a lot of it going on at once but I, I think it's really important that you've pointed this out that the it's not like there's the Nakba and then 1967 or and, and these key events where a lot of people died there's basically people being killed throughout the entire existence yeah, yeah there, and in there has there has and look I don't want to say that only Palestinians died some Israelis died. Of course, uh, if you want to compare the numbers, which is weird to compare numbers of deaths, right? It's like people are dying, but uh, it doesn't even come close. Um, the number of Palestinians who, who lost their lives is way, way more. Mm. Like there's statistics, actually, you can look it up. It's, it's well, hard. the point is that they've lost their lives. Um, so, so often it's... Yeah. The, the march in 2019, there I think 200 unarmed people were... Uh, uh, the Great March of Return. Uh, I forgot the figures, actually. I can't give you a number. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there was a... It was a completely peaceful attempt to, you know, uh, show the world, hey, please, can you see us, right? Uh, they got met with, like, brutal sniper fire, um, 
And you know, the, the, the snipers, they were shooting in a lot of cases. The idea was not to kill, just to you know, shoot somebody uh, on the knee. Like they want to cripple people basically. Um, you know what I mean? It was uh, just hurting people. Uh, of course, a lot of people died as well. Uh, a lot of journalists died, uh, medics, all uh, handicapped people, like people who are already handicapped that showed up there with their, uh, you know, wheelchairs were, uh, were targeted. Yeah. Obviously, the, these, these people are no threat. I don't know. It's just well, it, it's killing, like, killing in cold blood, really. Yeah, it's killing in cold me. blood. How used to it this IDF as mm. well, this defense force? Yeah. They've gotten so used to just shooting anyone. And I do actually, I do really worry about the psyche of Israelis um, because I think that they've they really have to believe wholeheartedly that it's this or nothing because um, that's the only justification for acting like this. I'm I'm not trying to justify what they do. I'm just trying to put myself in the in the shoes because they're from what I've seen from what happened recently, they've killed a lot of their own people in panic. That's the information that I'm getting. Yeah, there's there's some witnesses coming out saying this, yeah. And there was a on Haaretz, the Israeli leftist uh, newspaper. Um there were also reports on this that uh basically what happened was Panic. It was panic, right? Um, so Israeli um, military was basically panicked and started shooting whatever they see moving. Um, we, we are getting stories like that coming out. Um, but I mean, I don't know if, if that's really true or not. Uh, I would say um, there are some pictures we saw that didn't make much sense because so there was this concert uh, that was next to Gaza. And uh, a few days ago, uh, we saw the pictures of the cars, the burnt cars, like hundreds of burnt cars. cars. Ow. And when you think about it, uh, like, okay, this attack, they only had AK-47s and RPGs. So can AK-47s and RPGs really do this much damage with hundreds of cars being burnt? You start asking these questions, really. Um, now, I don't want to deny that uh, there were uh, people who got killed, um, innocent people, really. There were some, some videos I saw that were horrific. And that's sad. I mean, Killing people is always sad. I mean, there's no justification for that. But at the same time, you think about Gaza when you actually think and, and learn, because most people don't even know what Gaza is. Gaza has been described as a concentration camp um, by, there's a professor actually Norman Finkelstein once said this, and I looked it up, and uh, it's true. Uh, there's a professor, he died in 2007. His name is uh, uh, Baruch uh, Kimberling. 
uh, in 2003, he described Gaza as a concentration camp. In 2003, this was before the blockade. Imagine, so 2007, the blockade started. And, uh, you know, um, nobody was allowed to go in, nobody was allowed to go out. Uh, there was, um, people were, there's something called the food count, a food, uh, what's the, what's the word, uh, calorie count for the amount of food that goes in. Now they don't want to starve the people of Gaza. They just want to keep them hungry. Oh. And, uh, and this is according, actually, I'm not just saying this, this is according to, uh, to, uh, Human rights reports. Well, it's quite believable because uh, we're, we're hearing about um, <clears throat> them shutting off the water and shutting off the electricity and shutting off the internet and causing a, an entire. Yeah, blackout. now, yeah, but I'm talking about before all of this. I'm talking about when the blockade started. Uh, yeah, this is 20 years ago. And so, yeah, and so nobody can go in, nobody can go out. Um, the. The living situation is hard. Uh, I think uh, Gaza has uh, the highest unemployment rate in the world. Um, people live on welfare from other countries. And um, half of the population is children under 18. And 70% of them are already uh, refugees. Let's not forget that. Now, since 2007, periodically, Israel would do these high-tech military operations, what they called mowing the grass. Periodically, like every one and a half to two years, they do them. They give them names. The first one was cast lead. It was in 2008, Operation Cast Lead. Uh, if I got the dates right, uh, December 2008, and it, uh, it went on for a month. So it ended in January 2009, where basically uh, there was bombardment every day. The military, military, I think, went in, but they didn't go deep in like this time. The, just like you know, some some uh, somewhat on the edges of the of the Gaza city and like uh, areas like Beit Hanun and uh, and Jabalia and these areas uh, and withdrew and uh, look, I um, I can look up the numbers actually. I forgot the the casualties, but it was pretty bad. Not as bad as now, but it was pretty bad. And then 2012, there was another operation. I forgot what it's called. Uh, I think the most brutal one was 2014 Operation Protective Edge. Operation Protective Edge lasted for 51 days. And they bombed the hell out of Gaza. Like they bombed the hell out of Gaza. And uh, there was 2018, the Great March of Return. We already uh, mentioned that uh, 2021, there was an, a military operation also where they bombarded Gaza. 
So if, if you're living in a situation like this, where every two years, like you're in a concentration camp, you can't leave, you can't find a job, um, you're getting bombarded every two years, roughly. Uh, that will radicalize you. Um, so what happened on October 7th, I would say is, a uh, is human nature, really, um, uh, people reacting to, to oppression. That's what it was. It was brutal. Yeah. But I mean, you can't lock up people denying them their rights. And even, you know, above all this, even denying that they had a history in this land. This is one of the most important details. Like today, me, me and you, we, we met on a, on a comment on Twitter. I mean, I was reading the comments like pro-Israeli people, they were trying so hard to just erase Palestinian history. They were trying so hard. I mean, this morning I was, uh, I also saw this video that came from, <clears throat> it happened last year. Uh, there's, uh, she was a very famous uh, Palestinian journalist. Her name was Shirin Abu Akhle. Shirin Abu Akhle, she was shot uh, in May, 2020 by an Israeli sniper. Shirin Abu Akhle, she's a Palestinian. She, she, uh, she was a citizen of Jerusalem. She was Christian. And she had an American uh, citizenship, actually. She could have been in, in, in America living the American dream, right? But she chose to, to uh, go to the Janine refugee camp to cover the Israeli invasion there last year. And then an Israeli sniper cold-heartedly shot her in the back of her head. She was wearing a, a press vest. And so uh, she died instantly. It was a, it was a fatal uh, shot. She died instantly. Um, the next day was, was her funeral. And so the video I saw this morning I, it, it always comes up. I, I see it from time I, to I time. I think I've on. seen it. I, I think I know what where, you're talking about. Where they're carrying her uh, her coffin and they want to bury her. And then uh, Israeli police attack the, the funeral and start beating everybody that's holding the coffin and the coffin falls. And like, I look at that, like the hate in the hearts of these Israeli police. I mean, I don't care if they're following orders, right? Uh, if you're following orders and you see somebody holding a coffin and you, you deliberately hit so that the coffin will fall, that's twisted. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. At this point, I don't know if there's... Uh, Reconciliation is very hard at this point. I, I think so, because they, yeah. they are losing global sympathy. And I think in because 2014 was the last time this was huge in the news. And I remember it. 
and you could afford to not pick a side in the sense that like okay that's going on over there I yeah, don't know yeah. you can't do that anymore you can't it's too <clears throat> big and too many eyes are on it and the protests are enormous and all the politicians are beating their chests so you can't opt out of it and you can't support Israel without basically being an immoral liar is how I see it yeah I mean look uh Hamas did what Hamas and not just Hamas other uh resistance resistance groups did what they did on October 7th uh it's safe to say that they expected um Israeli like they asked for a war basically mm, okay and they expect they expected to get one but I don't think they expected that Israel will go and bomb hospitals, schools, universities, churches. And I don't, I don't think they saw this coming. Uh, I don't think they thought that uh, electricity, water, and, and food will be cut out of Gaza. Yeah, because... I mean, this is... This is look, these things, they're laying a ground for a genocide. If you... Like today, I was, I was uh, on the news... People in the in hospitals are starting to die because the hospital system basically collapsed. So this is this is not Israel coming to fight Hamas or uh, the Islamic Jihad or uh, the other groups. This is this is uh, collective punishment. It's pretty obvious. And you know the numbers that that died so far. I think now. I hope I'm wrong, but I think now we're going to see these numbers like double and triple because now the whole health system has collapsed. So if somebody's injured and somebody has a chance to survive through surgery, through, you know, uh, treatment, now that's gone. Hmm. So people will end up... It's an insane humanitarian crisis because, as I laid out earlier, I don't think any other warring neighboring countries are so unevenly matched, basically. You wouldn't have another going on somewhere in the world where, where they have the ability to take out your entire medical infrastructure just like that. And that's so scary. Yeah, absolutely. And... You know what scares me more, actually, is that um, basically the way I view it, really, is imperial powers in the West created Israel, right? Basically, they allowed the... And they gave it unconditional love. When you have a child, you have to give it tough love. It's a spoiled brat, you're saying. Israel's a a spoiled brat. Spoiled brat. Now, the thing is, it reached a point where um, nobody can stop Israel, really. I mean, uh, they created a monster. Um, If you think about it, uh, since the start, everybody backed Israel. Nobody really cared. But uh, since two weeks ago, you have countries starting to say, you know what, there has to be a ceasefire. Some countries say there has to be a humanitarian ceasefire. Uh, right but israel is not listening to anyone including the americans so they can't like nobody can control israel now here's what scares me to be honest um every day this war goes on this genocide goes on i should say 
there's more and more escalation happening from Lebanon, from Yemen, from the Hashd uh, al-Shaabi in Iraq, the guys that got rid of ISIS, that freed, freed the northern part of Iraq from ISIS. These guys are attacking American bases right now. Um, the more this goes on, um, the more escalation will happen, right? And there's something very important about uh, Benjamin Netanyahu that everybody needs to know. So this guy basically now, his, his political future is, is, is dead, basically. And it's very possible that this guy can end up in prison after this. Because he already, there's a lot of uh, corruption scandals against him anyway. Um, and after that, that, he's a narcissist. So the, 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 more, the longer this war goes on, and I think Netanyahu actually will benefit from this. If, if the war ends, he, he knows that it's his end as well. So prolonging the war benefits him. And prolonging the war could lead to a, uh, to a uh, regional war. And the US will come in and then Iran will come in. And to add all over that, uh, Netanyahu is sitting on nuclear weapons. And one of his ministers the other day, he, he, he wasn't shy about it. He was like, we should, we just nuke, we should nuke Gaza. I forgot uh, what's his name. Uh, he's the uh, culture minister, I think, of Israel. Yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, out, of, out in the open, he was like, we should nuke Gaza. He got a backlash, but anyway, like... Well, that would be great can... Israeli culture, wouldn't it? Yeah, but the thing is, they do have nuclear weapons, and there's something called the Samson option. Mm. Basically, the, the Samson option is where, when they see that Israel is facing an existential threat, the Samson option basically is just nuking everybody. It's, uh, it's like a suicide... Uh, suicidal uh apocalypse kind of uh you know killing ourselves and killing everybody with us basically and when you have a guy like netanyahu uh, in charge i don't know this really this i mean this scenario is not like uh i mean it's not it's not it's not very very impossible if you think about it uh you're describing the chain of events really well there because like he was already on shaky ground before October 7th and October yeah absolutely yeah has been yeah, yeah. This unifying thing so it is good for him so you're right he has no reason to ever stop this and no and, and he's a narcissist the thing is he doesn't care i mean if you were going to tell me that is that benjamin netanyahu cares about israeli lives i i, I mean no he doesn't well, October seventh. This is the this is the tightest border security on earth. This has technology that you and me probably couldn't even un begin to understand. Yeah, yeah. And the paratroopers yeah. got through and caused the worst loss of Jewish life since the Holocaust. I mean, I'm I'm gonna say that Israel has. You, you know, they should be looking into how this happened from their end rather than just. 
nuking the everything. Thing is, uh, a lot of people are asking questions, I think, in Israel. The thing is, the, the government, they're like, you know what? Uh, all these questions will be answered and uh, an investigation will happen. But first, we have to eliminate the threat that is coming from Gaza. Mm. Um, so I don't know how, how strong public opinion can be in Israel to stop this. Uh, I don't know, honestly. We, we There's don't... protests in Tel Aviv all the time. It, but well, it, uh, it's a very but this is madness. It's a confusing society, though, isn't it? Because presumably every IDF soldier has got to believe that, you know, everyone, um, all those two million people are Hamas supporters or Hamas members, else how would they be able to do what they're doing? And I know that there is like a sort of big faction of liberal Jews in Israel that are against this and do protest against it. But there's also we've all seen the footage of um, of them chanting death to Arabs and and sitting on the cliffside watching it. Like I don't think there's, yeah, yeah. you know, it's a very scary culture, it's, and we don't have a, an insight. Like I told you, like when I when I when I mentioned the the funeral uh, thing, the Shirin Abu Akhli funeral thing, the way they attacked the, the people who are going to bury that person, basically. Uh, the way they attacked them, like you can, you can see the hate. You can see the hate in their in their hearts. It's, uh, and this is, I think, this is a huge faction of Israeli society. They they became also so radical, very radical. I mean, if you look at the the last few years, the the elections Israel has, they've had a lot of elections over the past four years. They should have one election every four years. They had like six, maybe, or five hmm. the, the last four years. And every single time, the majority goes to the ultra-right. People like Ben Gavir and uh, what's his name, Smokrich. And... So Israeli society is, is also very right-wing. And well, like that's, that's, the, that's what the voting system tells us. Like that's what their election tells us. They are... They're always producing right-wing governments. And these governments, uh, they don't really believe in, in a Palestinian state. The thing is like in, in the 90s, there was the Oslo Accords um, after the first Intifada. Uh, the first Intifada was, a, as we said, was a peaceful uh, Intifada. It was met with bullets. Um, but at the end, it ended up with the Oslo Agreement, where uh, the Israeli president back then, Ishaq Rabin, um, agreed to do peace with the Palestinians. And uh, the PLO back then, the Palestinian uh, Liberation Organization, recognized Israel. And they were like, you know what, we can never beat Israel, so let's just do a peace treaty we get 20% of historic Palestine and we, we build our Palestinian state. And after that, Yitzhak Rabin got assassinated by right-wing Zionists who, who thought that he, <clears throat> that he was a traitor. <clears throat> Sorry. So, and Netanyahu came, comes along, right? Um, so, 
talking of peace, the, the thing about the thing about uh, uh, Israeli governments over the years, um, they have this dream of of having a Jewish state from the river to the sea, and they're just they're they're holding on to it. Uh, Netanyahu actually on many different occasions, especially uh, when there's elections in Israel, he, he used to always come out and say, yeah, I will never allow a Palestinian state to be established. Wow. He used to say that, like, you can, yeah. you, can uh, you can find that on, on YouTube. Uh, he was always saying that on camera, he doesn't care, you know, let the word, the, the whole world here, I'm not going to allow a Palestinian state. Mm. Right. Um, so I don't know when you get stuff like October seventh. Really, what hope do these people have? Like I'm, I'm speaking as a Palestinian that's been living in Jordan. I can, I can say, um, I'm probably one of the privileged Palestinians who are living today by by being a by by living in Jordan because Jordan is relatively a, a very safe country to live in. Mm. Um, but, you know, I'm from Hebron. Um, the people, I mean, Gaza is 60 kilometers away from Hebron. So the people in Gaza are my people. Like, when I look at what's going on, I mean, there's, uh, there's this word we have in Arabic. It's called Tahir. Uh, mm -hmm. There is no English word for it. But basically, it means being upset, putting upset on a, on a low fire, you know, let it boil slowly, right? Right. Kind of. Um, and it's been boiling since, since I was born, really. Um, so when you see, when you see these, these people trying to break out, can I condemn, condemn them? No, no way. Hell no. Hmm. Well, even if even if what's happened was uh, was brutal, I mean, I can't condemn Nelson Mandela uh, fighting apartheid in South Africa. I can't condemn um, the slave revolts in, in the in the American South, though they were very brutal. They were very brutal, but can you condemn them? Like if you if you want to if you make people slaves they're gonna retaliate. Hmm. It's, it's common sense for crying out loud. Well, the the Western narrative is that this conflict started on October seventh and that there was a ceasefire. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. There, and... There's you know this is the thing we didn't talk about this the thing about uh, Western media. Western media over the years played a very bad role in dehumanizing Palestinians. Yes. Um, not just Palestinians, I mean, refugees from any country you think of in the global south. When, when, the, when the Russian invasion happened in Ukraine, um, and this is why I will never, like if anybody from, from a Western country tries to lecture me about human rights, uh, I'll probably snap at the person and shut that person up in a heartbeat because you don't get to talk to us about human rights 
when uh, you went nuts about uh, Ukrainian refugees, rightly so, right? Rightly so, their country got invaded and they had a refugee problem. And even me as a Palestinian, I can never look at a refugee and I mean, I feel them, right? I mean, I know what's, what they're going through. So I will always support refugees where, wherever they're from. But when I see Western media going like, yeah, but you know what? These refugees coming over to Europe from Ukraine, they're blonde and they have blue eyes. I'm like, and of course the, the like people went crazy about the, the situation in, in Ukraine. And you know, I, I look, you know, not as a Palestinian, as a, as a citizen of earth. I look at that and I go like, huh, okay, interesting. We've been basically uh, being butchered since 1948 and nobody gave a damn about us. And now when, when you suddenly see uh, blonde refugees from a neighboring country in Europe, you're going nuts. I mean, that doesn't make sense. Why is, why is there this selective standard? And the Western media really feeds this narrative. Uh, somehow it dehumanizes everybody that's not uh, European or North American or... That's the case in, in, in like most cases, that's how it goes. I mean, it's uh, it's happening on a huge oh. scale right now with in relationship to what's going on now with um, the marches that we're seeing in the UK in support of Palestine are probably the biggest marches that we've ever seen for anything. Actually, yes. Now, now we have we have like only after this. Yeah, uh, yeah. I agree. Things are starting to shift, but social media uh not social media sorry uh mainstream media hmm. excuse me mainstream media until now actually they're starting to draw this narrative that uh you know uh, palestinians are savages and until now they're trying to do this social media exposed it actually it has but the 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 narrative uh in the mainstream western media Ah, it's it's been like if they if they uh, have the same standard they used uh, with Russia Ukraine because what's going on now is much worse, much much worse. Yeah, what I find is that it, it so, kind of it becomes World War Three. It in the sense that we all have a role to play um, because it, there's an uprising in every country against the media. And the government, <laughs> uh, and particularly here because we're so complicit in it, um, people are fuming, and the government and the media are responding to them by calling them Hamas supporters. And yeah. and the thing is, you know, the more you call me a Hamas supporter, the more I look into it and kind of become a Hamas supporter. And I'm I'm pretty like I, yeah I, yeah you know because as you've described, it's like, are you really gonna like condemn? the prisoner who's been falsely imprisoned when he kicks the shit out of the prison the guard? Really? Yeah, the thing is, the thing is uh, even Jews 
Jews in in Western in the UK and in America, they're they're becoming Hamas supporters as well. <laughs> you know, I mean it's hilarious. Uh, by the way, uh, since we we're talking about Hamas, the the thing about the Hamas Charter, actually, this has to be mentioned. Hmm. Uh, everybody talks about the Hamas Charter, how they're out to kill Jews and yeah, kill all these Hamas, right? Kill all the Jews. Jews. Yeah. And you know, by by you know, for no reason, basically, they just want to kill all the Jews. The truth is, if you go and read the Hamas Charter, they never say that they they're out to kill Jews. And it's very easy. You can just Google the Hamas Charter and it comes up. You can go through the whole thing in five minutes. They, they never say, uh, we want to kill Jews. They say our struggle is against the Zionist project that colonized our land. Hmm. So we're not after Jews because they're Jews. It just happens to be that our colonizers are, are Jews. If they were Muslims, they would have done the same thing. If, if they were Christian, they would have, if they were Hindu, they would have said the same thing, right? We're, we're fighting uh, the people who came and colonized us. And because, and you're reading the ethnic cleansing of Palestine. And I, and I actually pulled it out today. Uh, I read it before, uh, but uh, I read it a few years ago. I pulled it out today to reread it, to refresh my memory. And uh, Elon Pape talks about uh, settler colonialism in this book. And uh, basically, what's happened in Palestine uh, in before before the, uh, World War One even uh, was a settler colonialist uh, project. That is still going on till today. You have uh, people in the Israeli government. They say they're not shy. They say, you know what? Now we're going to move uh, everybody in Gaza down into Egypt, and uh, we're going to, you know, go back. Uh, ben Gavir was talking about uh, reestablishing the Jewish settlements in, in Gaza. I mean. I mean, what what the hell, <laughs> you know? Just without so well, that that's that's why it was worth um, pausing on on. There's this huge difference between what the Israelis in Israel are voting for and supporting, and the politicians that are popular, and what we might be led to believe in the West. Because in the West, it's always a sort of battle between the left and the right, and it swings. But what you're describing here is it's just firmly like a bullet train towards this property. Yeah, it's an it's a, it's a settler colonialism that is based on uh, ethnic cleansing. And you know what? So today, when you posted the picture of uh, the ethnic cleansing of Palestine, a lot of people came and said, ah, you know, Ilan Pape, uh, this guy is nuts. He's crazy. Blah blah blah. Fine. There's there's a, a, another Israeli historian. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> there's another Israeli historian. His name is uh, Benny Morris. Uh, Benny Morris uh, also wrote a book that is called uh, Righteous Victims. Um, 
I bring this up because uh, like Ilan Pape, so Ilan Pape uh, wrote the ethnic cleansing of Palestine through uh, going through basically the, the IDF archives. Like a lot of the footnotes he has is from the, the Israeli army archives. And uh, Benny Morris in, in, in his book, Righteous Victims, uh, did the same thing. Um, and in, the, in this book, Righteous Victims, he says very clear that the Zionists that came to Palestine had the idea of transfer, transfer of the indigenous population. It was inbuilt into Zionism. From day one. From day one, it was inbuilt into Zionism. Benny Morris, he's a Zionist, by the way. He's not, he's, he's actually a hardcore Zionist, this guy. Well, but so he, he was honest. He, he was honest. Written this, but from the pro-Zionist perspective, slightly disturbing. Uh, he, he was honest. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, he's pro, um, the way he pictures it is like, if you take the U.S., for example, uh, you know, the U.S., uh, Europeans went and colonized. Um, but if they didn't do that, we wouldn't have the great United States of America. So he justifies it this way. Uh, kind of like the same thing. Yeah. But he was honest about the intention of ethnic cleansing. And uh, he... he, he uh, he didn't use the word ethnic cleansing in his book, uh, to be clear. He, were, he used the word transfer. It, it was Ilan Pape who used the word ethnic cleansing. Mm. Um, because he compared every situation, Ilan Pape compared, uh, because he goes through all the villages that were destroyed and uh, ethnically cleansed. And he takes the uh, definition of ethnic cleansing from... Uh, mm. That's why I read to. I need to reread the book to remember where he takes the definition. I think from the UN uh, uh, definition of ethnic cleansing. I think, and applies it to every uh, village and village and town in Palestine that were emptied, and that's how he makes his thesis. So, to, like um, I, I mentioned this because there's a lot of. Um, of backlash whenever you mention Ilan Pape, a lot of people jump in and start saying, ah, he's a fraud, blah, 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 even though nobody was able to debunk the ethnic cleansing of Palestine. Mm. But still, you have voices coming out saying that he's a fraud, self-hating Jew, whatever you want to call it, really. But then again, you know, he's not the only one who talked about these things. Benny Morris, who is a hardcore Zionist, righteous victims he describes he describes the same thing transfer he uses the word transfer instead of ethnic cleansing that's the difference so i just wanted to point that out uh, yeah well well it's important and and i feel a sense of urgency to talk about this because um because if they were to complete their mission that we all know that they've got and they're trying to pretend that it's always oh, just defending ourselves and we're just trying to get Hamas. No, 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 no. If they succeed in their mission, then Palestine is gone. 
because there is, there will not be a single Palestinian living in Palestine, and that means that nation has disappeared. And I think that's so heartbreaking, and I think that's so that's why it's so important that you consider yourself um, a Palestinian rather than a Jordanian, no matter how long you've Exist, been. Existing is resisting. That's mm. how I see it. Existing is resisting. It's true. I I, uh, I do consider myself Jordanian, by the way. Right. Yeah. I was born and uh, born and raised here um, in this country. Uh, I grew up in this country. I ate from the fruits of this country, drank its water all my life. It's uh, it's my country. Um, but Palestine is my country too. Like that's where I can trace my family back to generations back, right? And we still own land there, by the way. We still all own land there. Uh, also from my mother, in, in Hebron, from my mother's side, uh, they still own land in West Jerusalem. West Jerusalem was captured in, uh, uh, by the Zionist uh, militia and became part of Israel in 1948. My mother's family owned land in an area in West Jerusalem called Qatamon, which is, it was back then a very fancy, nice area. Uh, it was a nice neighborhood. Um, my grandmother used to tell me she uh, it, it had uh, very nice views. It was a very nice area. And after 1948, there was the absentee law where uh, anybody who 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 left and uh, you know left. The, the land unclaimed, like any land for people who left, basically, became uh, property of, of the Israeli uh, government, country. So we still own land there. Um, the Qatamon land, uh, so my father's side, they have land in Hebron, right? Hmm. Um, Hebron is still... Uh, what's known as a, what's supposed to be the Palestinian state, but uh, West Jerusalem, where my, where my mother has, uh, my mother's family has land, uh, is always gonna be the Israeli state. And so we have land there, right? Hmm. And you know what? Uh, we, we, never, we never decided to give this, these lands away to anyone. We weren't cons consulted about this. So we want those lands back. Mm. Uh, so I, I'm just saying this, like, yes, uh, I've been living in, in Jordan all my life. But at the end of the day, you know what? If this didn't happen, we would have probably still been living in Palestine. Yeah. So and since we have properties and we have the papers to prove this pro these pro properties, by the way, every Palestinian uh has their papers by the way yeah you, you could you could be amazed if you go to a, a refugee camp in jordan there's plenty of refugees camps by the way even if a lot of people gain jordanian citizenship but we still have refugees camp refugee camps and we have people living there and if you go to a refugee camp and ask a little child really 10 years old where you're from 
they're probably able to, to give you the exact location where they come from, and they still have the keys to their houses. Hmm. Yeah, that's how insane it is. Uh, if you ever wonder why Palestinians uh, can, there's this, the picture of a key always. It's very symbolic. These are the keys to the houses of the people who left and thought that they could come back, but were never able to go back. Yeah, and they're so, their actual keys. And they wear them around their necks. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a symbolic thing. The key. Well, I Palestinian people. I honestly, well, I'm not advocating anything nasty here, but I honestly wonder how long the state of Israel can continue at its current pace because it cannot. It's it it's has, unsustainable. It has no world support anymore because I mean. It's only real big two allies. I, I think Germany is under one hell of a spell because of what happened there. UK is bad, but we're we're certainly breaking through. And the US as well. I think the protests in the US are enormous. And 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 that, does, that is now a component of it, is the people of every country putting pressure on their government for this tiny strip of land, which is really interesting. Strip of land, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's... Uh... There's this book I, I read a long time ago uh, by Slavoj Zizek. Yeah. Uh, it's called Violence. Uh, now, I can't remember, honestly, if he quoted this or if he, he uh, wrote it in his book or he quoted some, someone else, but uh, it really stuck in my mind. Um, and, and he says... Uh, um, the problem with Israel is that it was born 200 years late. Meaning, if you think about it, meaning if Israel uh, did its, its colonial project 200 years ago, then today we would have had an Israel, really, and there would be no problem. Uh, because back then, col colonialism was the, the way of life. Mm -hmm. It was accepted. The problem uh, with the timing of the creation of the state of Israel was it was created in a time where colonialism was falling. Like the UK had all its colonies. It was like, you know what? We're going to give all these people their independence. They were dismantling their colonies. Uh, colonialism is not, it was not like, uh, was losing its, uh, you know, its, popularity, if you will, or, uh, yeah, people, this, people didn't accept colonialism anymore. And that's when Israel decided, you know what, we're going to colonize a uh, colonize a land right now. Mm. You know, it was, so... it is the very last colonial project of the West. Absolutely. Winston Churchill's yeah. last real. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I just wanted to point that out. It was a, it was an interesting quote by Zizek, or maybe he quoted it from somebody else. I have to go back and check, but it was, tr it's true. It's it, true. So they can't come now and say, you know what, we're, we're gonna continue our. I mean, they're doing it, but, I mean, it's not acceptable. I mean, this is not sustainable. Eventually, people will come along and say, you know what. You guys got to stop. I mean, well, eventually the entire world has to realize that they're not going to stop. You know, I've realized that you've realized that a certain number of people knew it way before. Right now, yeah. But yeah. just every single day, I think more and more people are going to have to come. To 
they're not going to stop are they they're not going to stop and also and the bigger concern for me is like hey guys realize that all our mps are you know they have to say oh well yeah we stand with israel and it has the right to defend itself and that should make you ask questions about them and where their pay packet is coming from etc because it's bad i mean this is this is another thing that uh western mainstream media always uses like israel has the right to defend itself against who I mean, how can how can uh, a country that is when you're an occupier, you're you're already in a in an offensive posture, mm. right? So how can you defend? I mean, is is a um, is a rape? Does the, a rapist have the right to defend himself from his victim? Mm. Right? I mean, does that make sense? It's not a it's not a logically sound. Uh, proposition uh, to make like Israel, like Israel has a right to defend itself. It's an occupying power. Well, this um, is why I asked about that. I, I uh, like the culture is very scary because reading Ilan Pape's book, it is, uh, or it's called the liberation of the land. They call it the liberation, whereas like no, yeah. the PLO's goal was liberation because they were under an oppressor um who did who were the israelis liberating the land from um, so uh, look the israeli narrative goes something like this um so of course the israelis they have this kind of biblical sense mm. to the land where you know god gave them the, the land supposedly um and their narrative in history uh, is that you know after World War One, so basically Palestine was under uh, Ottoman uh, Ottoman rule uh, pre World War One, right? The Ottomans, uh, the Ottoman Empire was in charge of the entire Levant, basically, um, and. The Levant, for who doesn't know what the Levant is, it's basically the area that is Palestine, Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon. The people who are living in the Levant are basically the same people, mm -hmm. generally. I mean, when you talk about Arabs, um, the, the, the people from Levant are very similar to each other, Palestine, Jordan, Syria, Syria and Lebanon. And there's cultural differences between people from the Gulf, people from Egypt. Um, the truth is we got Arabized uh, when Islam came into the picture. Hmm. Um, and this is also something very important to mention. A lot of Palestinians actually uh, <clears throat> that took DNA tests, um, turned out that they have Jewish uh, blood in them. They were the, the ancient Jews that never left the land. But what happened was that Christianity came along at some point. They converted to Christianity. And then Islam came along. And then they converted to Islam. And through Islam, they started speaking Arabic. They became Arabized. And now we're known as Arabs. I want to take the DNA test, actually, out of curiosity. Maybe I have Jewish blood in me. I don't know. Mm. Um, but that's what happened the, the land never was never empty people always lived there 
but anyway, uh, I jumped into something else to answer your question. Uh, the Ottoman, uh, the Ottoman Empire was uh, was in charge, was uh, you know of the Levant basically, and Palestine is part of the Levant. And after World War One, the Ottoman Empire collapsed because it, it was an ally with uh, with Austria and Germany and Hungary. And they lost the war, the, the war, they collapsed. And that's when uh, British and French colonizers came in and colonized uh, the Middle East, right? So Palestine and Jordan came under British rule. Uh, Syria and Lebanon came under uh, French rule in uh, what we call the Sykes-Picot uh, agreement where they decided to divide the land between them, between the British and the French, right? This was after World War I. Um, now, Zionism uh, or Zionist settlers started coming to Palestine before World War I. Yeah. Uh, in the late, in the late 18, uh, 1800s, they started coming in uh, and moving into, into Palestine. And um, immigration kept on going on. They came along, they bought lands. Um, uh, a lot of them, there, there was this, uh, this guy, his name is Yitzhak Epstein, I think, Yitzhak Epstein. Uh, he was uh, one of the Jews that came from Europe <clears throat> to Palestine. I think it was like 1901, 1902. He sent a, a letter back to the Zionists telling them, uh, you know, guys, there are people living here. It's not an empty land like you guys uh, thought it was. There are people living here and they have a culture. Of course, and, uh, there were Jews that were like, you know what? Uh, yes, we want to establish a Jewish state in our Jewish homeland, but we don't want to kick anybody else. There were, uh, there were voices that were like, uh, we want to try to live with the indigenous people of Palestine. And there were always Jews living in Palestine, Arabic Jews. Mm. Anyway, um, so you had the British mandate and you had the indigenous people living, Palestinians, and you had Jewish, uh, Jewish uh, immigration, uh, Jews coming in, immigrating and settling in the land. Um, and then... Uh, <clears throat> Up until a certain point, of course, there was the the Belfort Declaration. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of it or yeah, your yeah. viewers. Yeah, it might yeah. probably have because you know we're British and there's a lot of talk of yeah. it. Yeah, where basically uh, Lord Belfort uh, promised to to establish a Jewish state in uh, in Palestine. This was right after World War. Uh, World War One, and I think uh, the the day I think it was it was the Belfour anniversary a few days ago, actually. All right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, so the way Jews at the end the Jewish uh, narrative about what happened is that you know uh, we used to live here too with the Arabs, and we were colonized by the British, and then we rose up against the British to you know to uh, to be independent from uh, from uh, you know 
the British colonizers. That's their, uh, that's the Israeli historic narrative. And then while they were doing that, the Arabs decided to attack us. And we fought all of them off, mm. basically. And they called it the, the Israeli War of Independence. That's their narrative that, uh, yeah, this land was colonized, right? And then uh, we fought the, colonizer, the colonizers, the British, and we kicked the colonizers out. And wait, can I check something? They're using yeah. the Oops. Jews that yeah. were always in Palestine, the Arabic Jews that were already there, and saying, ah, oh, oh, there's... we as Jews, you know, they were already... No, 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 no. No, 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 actually. Okay. Uh, the Jews that lived there. So um, I remember stories from my uh, my grandparents, uh, because my uh, my grandparents used to live there. And they had Jewish neighbors. And uh, they weren't Zionists. Oh, Actually, they, what, what I'm saying is that the Zionists yeah. use the fact that Jews like that already lived there to say, well, there were Jews there. And the Jews then rose up against the British, even though the Jews that were already um, there were not the ones fighting. No, not no, not necessarily. No, they they just use this to uh, they just use the narrative of like there were colonizers here, just to prove that the land was colonized and it didn't right. belong to anyone. And then they just to, ju yeah. to justify, yeah, mm. basically. When in actuality, that, the... British were were the only thing protecting the indigenous Palestinians from the Zionists, and then they left one day, is my understanding. To, to a certain extent, but they still wanted to create a, a Jewish state. They still, uh, they didn't break their promise to, uh, to the Jews. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, at some point during World War II, because that's where the, the mass immigration happened. Like that's when like Jews started coming in, in the thousands. Yeah. Like whole ships coming in. There was uh, something called the white paper mm -hmm. that came out and said, you know what? We're gonna have to stop Jewish immigration coming to Palestine from Europe right now. Um, now, I don't know what the motive was, honestly. Was it really because they wanted to be honest to the Arabs too and create a Palestinian state? Uh, or they wanted to, I don't know, honestly, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to need to, I can't answer that, to be honest. I don't know what the motives were behind the British. But uh, what I know, like there's something very important. In 1936, uh, the Arabs in Palestine revolted when it, it came pretty clear to them that, okay, we're going to lose our homeland. And they revolted against the Jewish settlers and, and the British uh, colonizers. Now, the Jewish settlers weren't peaceful. They had their plan. Uh, I don't know how, how far in you went in uh, the ethnic cleansing of Palestine. I basically finished it now. But... Yeah, I mean, they weren't... Uh, uh, okay, look, um, let's go back to what uh, Benny Morris said. Uh, transfer. They had that in their ideology from day one. Mm -hmm. So back then, uh, for the Palestinians, uh, uh, it was obvious, okay, um, 
Jews are immigrating to Palestine and they want to create their, they want to kick us out and create their own home. It became obvious. Uh, and there was a Palestinian revolt against both the British and, uh, and the, the Jewish settlers. Uh, but this revolt didn't last. I mean, it was crushed very quickly. They weren't able, because back then the Palestinians, they, they weren't really, they weren't strong, you know, they, they didn't have any weapons on them. They didn't, they were all basically farmers and, uh, you know, uh, whoever lived in the cities uh, worked in, you know, uh, merchants, basically, like selling stuff for a living. Um, so uh, they didn't have an army. They didn't have anything, really. They tried to revolt, but the revolt got crushed. After that, this white paper came out. Uh, and um, basically, the Jewish wanted to slow down, Jew uh, the British wanted to slow down uh, Jewish immigration. And that's when uh, this part of history actually, actually is where it fits the Jewish, the Israeli narrative now, is that uh, they started doing attacks against the British. And at some point, the British said, okay, uh, those Jewish militias, they're terrorists. And there was this huge exp explosion that happened in, in the King, King David Hotel in Jerusalem, targeting, uh, targeting British, uh, you know, British uh, members of British army. I don't know what the rankings were, but... Uh, and uh, so the, the Israeli narrative is, yeah, we revolted against the British. We fought them until they eventually said, you know what, we're going to give the question of, of Palestine to the United Nations that was uh, established, like it was new, right after World War II, and let them decide the, the future of Palestine. And that's when, in 1947, there was the partition plan uh, where the world basically voted, uh, splitting Palestine into two countries, mm. um, uh, Arab state and a Jewish state. Uh, the Arabs refused. Um, and this is, uh, <clears throat> this is something uh, a lot of Israelis bring up. Like, you know, the Palestinians, they have the chance to give away their land. country. But like, if you think about it, I mean, why would they agree? Exactly. Give, uh, because, you know what? Let's say that they would agree, okay? They would agree to such a plan. For argument's sake, we would agree. But take the demographics. Um, when the partition plan um, uh, came out, uh, the Arabs that were living from Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, you know, this area, Palestine, all of Palestine, was around uh, 1,300,000. Uh, the Jews were like uh, 600,000, I think, or 700,000. Mm -hmm. And which whom the majority of them just arrived from World War II. Um, they owned 6% of the land. So let's say we want to split the land. We agreed to split the land. It's not fair to give them 55% and us 45%. It's not fair. 
Now, now the problem is that people don't know this. They they just look. Unfortunately, Palestinians became so dehumanized that whenever Israelis say, "You know what? There was a partition plan," and the Palestinians refused it, everybody goes along with it because the Palestinians they're subhumans. That's how it is, really, in the West, at least. Well, I don't think you're wrong, but I think... No, that... not, of course, now maybe the narrative is changing, but up until October 6th, let's say. Uh, well, I think, the I think because of these events, people are having a chance to look back to learn about it five years and think, hang on, what's... Been... And that's what I'm trying to do here today, really, and, and with yeah, all of this. So it's been really, really good to chat today, man. It's it's flown by. Thank you for giving everyone. What's the time? Oh, it's been an hour and a half actually. An hour and a half, yeah. Um, but no, I hopefully I'll hit you up again for another chat like this. Yeah, um, yeah. actually, there was this there was very nice actually. Yeah, I, I enjoyed. Uh, I never get to talk about these things uh, with. Uh, I mean, we get to talk about these things all the time in Jordan. Yeah. But you're talk you're talking. To people who already know what's what's going on, so we're just going diving into details on uh, what should or what should have been or stuff like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're never debating these facts. We're just debating other stuff, like you know, uh, stuff like um, the PLO, uh, for example, and the Palestinian Authority uh, policies in, in the West Bank and yeah. stuff like that. But you yeah, know, the details, stuff like that. Yeah, we go into the nitty gritty of things, kind of. Um, yeah, well, the, look, honestly, like you know, you're you're in the thick of it. Um, you you actually live there, and I just think when you zoom out, it, it's such an enormous tragedy. So it's not really worth focusing on the details. Um, and that's me saying it as someone who hasn't really been covering this before, and I'm diving in feet first. Um, and I'm enjoying yeah. it. It's a, it's an important story to be a part of, to be honest. That's great. I mean, we, we need more voices like you, to be honest, and like the Jewish voices that are coming out. Uh, it's very important because, uh, you know, Elon Pape, uh, once uh, on YouTube, I was I was uh, looking at one of his uh, lectures, basically, and he, he, he was saying, like, the Palestinians have been for years, for decades, screaming trying to convince people. Nobody listened. And then me, like Ilan Pape, me, because I'm Jewish, and I started talking about this, everybody's listening. Mm. So, and I think uh, also you, as, as a, a British person, let's say a white British person, your voice actually will have a lot, a lot more influence than, say, uh, Palestinians uh, that are living in the UK or uh, Muslims living in the UK. Uh, so we really do need your voices, to be honest. Uh, and I really appreciate the, the work you're doing. Um, I, can as see, I, am sure. I can see how many people that have my skin color and look like me have been paid to say the exact opposite. So I kind of see it as my duty. They, they have to pay people to even go out on protest i mean that's that's ridiculous i mean when you're on the right side of history you don't need money to to do the, the right thing right I yeah mean, it's, i i think it's just the right thing to do 
everyone on everyone in the Gazan side on the Palestinian side seems to be operating as a charity worker while the all the people yeah. on the side seem to have fancy cameras and lots of money and I think that tells you something yeah yeah I mean it's not about it's not about money it's about justice so. yes. yes well yeah so before before we we close I just want to mention uh, something very important um uh that uh while this uh this is going on in gaza the whole world is looking at gaza it's very important to point out something um in the west bank actually there's also uh ethnic cleansing campaign that is actually escalating right now but nobody sees this uh everybody's focused on gaza but nobody sees the ethnic cleansing that is happening in the west bank it's actually pretty horrible uh, Ben Zafir is giving all these insane settlers weapons and just go out and terrorize any Palestinian you can find so um uh, this is worth mentioning it's worth mentioning that there's a lot of people dying in Congo right now totally unrelated there's a lot of genocides going on in this world so um uh, it's important to focus on all of them this is this is a fight uh against injustice everywhere I guess it's not, it doesn't have borders if you will so yeah that's all I wanted to say uh oh and I also want to say you know uh in the West Bank there is no Hamas so stop blaming Hamas for everything 